Carcinization. Zeptoseconds. Arteries. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story is animal news. This is from popularmechanics.com. The headline is, Animals keep evolving into crabs, which is somewhat disturbing. (laughs) Wait, wait, what? (laughs) There is a pattern of animals evolving into crabs. (laughs) It's real. I'm going to need more explanation. So, okay, I'm going to read the... uh, the person that wrote this article, how they their intro to this. We knew the long quarantine was making us all crabby, but this is extreme. Okay. People now feel fully betrayed by the long history of crabification of different species over time. Betrayed? And the, and the technical term for this is carcinization. That's like the scientific term for evolving into a crab. There's okay. a term for it. Mm-hmm. So... This is in the news right now because apparently it's trending online for some reason randomly, but the original study on this... Turning into a crab is (laughs) so trendy right now. (laughs) Um, Everyone's really bored. I don't know if you knew this. Yeah, so we're all... um, Guys, we're all turning into crabs. Yeah. mm -hmm. Um, So the original study on this phenomenon was published in 2017 in the Biological Journal of the Linnean Society... And according to that study, this evolutionary process has occurred on at least five separate, like, unique occasions in the last century alone. So, like, they have documented five different times where animals became a, a crab, but, like, it wasn't, they weren't evolved from the same, they didn't have the same evolutionary, like, ancestry. It, like, happened. It was, like, different branches of the evolutionary tree. All independently evolving into crabs. Yes. Which I guess just means that crabs are the perfect animal. I mean, that might be what it means. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a interesting phenomenon. They don't know exactly why. Um, so they did describe, like, how does this happen? Well, animals that live in similar habitats face obstacles that can shuttle them towards the same evolutionary advantages, which makes sense, logically. Sure. Um, but also, animals can evolve separately... And like, but end up kind of converging towards the same species or spontaneously evolve the same characteristics in separate groups. Like that has been observed with other animals before. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples they gave was that birds and mammals are both warm-blooded, but both of them evolved from groups that were not originally warm-blooded. So that was like a trait that like, huh. I don't know, just it was, happened. It was advantageous for both lines and they both independently yeah. evolved it. Hmm. So, um... So this has been observed before, but they just noted that the, what the thing with the crabs is kind of unusual because um, the there's the so crabs, many of them. It's not like just two examples. It's like they found five, and so they that's just five that we know of. Like, and there could be right. more. Um, and this paper, I guess, also talked about neurological commonalities between the different species, certain like certain circulatory system design, and like mm. more things that were just common between these different species of crabs that all just completely evolved separately. Like that independently of each other. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, and apparently this is like a trending thing that people are just like, this is disturbing. I don't know. But that's why it's in the news. So what's so dis- interesting. I mean, that feels offensive to crabs to call it disturbing, first of all. <laughs> it's, 
Do you think we're going to all become crabs someday? I think that's the reason why people think it's disturbing because it makes them feel like they're going to become a crab. Well, first one day. of all, that's not how evolution works. Correct. So <laughs> if you feel that way, don't because yeah. that's not how evolution works. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it does not, um, does not happen within an individual. But uh, actually, sneak peek, my next story is has to do with human evolution, actually, but I won't oh. tell you anymore yet. But yeah, we so. are turning into crabs. That's the we second are. one. <laughs> No, but you'll see what it actually is. All right. So stay tuned. Obviously, you're going to stay tuned. Everyone else, stay tuned. I'm not going anywhere. My first story is food news. This is from CNN. Impossible milk could be coming to your cereal bowl. Impossible milk? Impossible milk. Is it like... Vegan milk? Vegan milk. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, Impossible Foods, the company known for making plant-based meat designed to taste, cook, and look like real meat, may soon get into the milk business. Why milk? Well. Okay. When you think Wait. about it, a lot of the like milk alternatives that exist out there already don't really taste like milk. Oh, that like, is true. And they don't have sim- like the same kind of properties as milk. Um, like how they mix with things and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, Impossible Milk, which is still in development, would be nothing like soy or other plant-based milks, promised CEO Pat Brown. Thank you, Pat Brown. <laughs> uh, instead, the company wants the beverage to taste like the real thing. So their goal is to essentially make actual fake milk that you would that would be difficult to distinguish That's from, a good from point. the actual thing. That's totally a good point. Because, yeah, all, other like plant-based milks Or are, like all the different like nut-based milks and stuff. They yeah, don't, like they don't taste like stuff. milk. No, they don't. They're just their own They're, thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, the company announced on Tuesday that it is planning to double its R&D, the, its research and development team, over the next 12 months. Hmm. Uh, they showed a milk prototype to reporters and others during a virtual conference call on Tuesday. Uh, as an example of the types of plant-based products that the strengthened R&D team will tackle. Kind of weird to show a food product over a conference call, because really all you're getting at that point is the look. <laughs> um, yeah. And I will say it does look like milk, but that's the part I'm probably the least concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining this conference call, like being this person that works for Impossible, like taking a sip of it and being like, mmm, mm, it tastes, tastes like real like milk. milk. <laughs> and wow. you're just like on the other end, you're like, okay. <laughs> It's like, that could just be real milk. Yeah. Um, Impossible's goal would be to design a milk alternative for people who prefer the real stuff to any of the currently available alternatives, as I said, in different ways several times now. Uh, Part of the demonstration on the conference call involved pouring their milk into a hot cup of coffee. Uh, Most plant-based milks don't uh, easily blend with coffee, but theirs behaved more similarly, similarly to dairy milk in that it kind of just like mixed in evenly and like there was a foam to it. And as opposed to the... Plant-based milk they showed an example of ended up kind of all settling to the bottom and looked really gross. So um, I did not know this about plant-based milks, but apparently they're not good for mixing with coffee. I, I've i tried to put almond milk in coffee before, and that seems to have worked fine. Yeah. But it, like, I could see, I could see, like, other types of nut milks definitely, like, not working. Right. And maybe it's, like, a brand thing, Or, like, too. a like soy milk know. or something. Mm-hmm. Is a soy considered a nut milk? Oh, well, it's definitely an alternative milk. But yeah, yeah is it a nut milk? Because <laughs> there's like cashew milk. I'm wondering aloud because I'm just not milk. sure. <laughs> I don't um, know. Anyway, uh, Pat Brown said, 
Uh, we have made prototypes from a number of different plant sources, adding that soy, which was an ingredient in this prototype, is a very good choice from a nutritional standpoint and a supply chain standpoint. And for those reasons, I think there's a decent chance that it will be the base protein for our product. So they're probably going to end up using soy, but they okay. want to do stuff with it to make it more like regular milk. Yeah. Because um, all their all their meat products are also soy-based, I believe. Um, hmm. At least that's what the article, I think, said. So. All right. Uh, but yeah, they're going to try to make fake dairy milk that actually tastes like the real thing, but isn't. And I think that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it's a really good idea. I wonder if they could use it then to make cheese. Ooh. Or if that would just not work. Well, I don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of like chemistry involved in cheese making. So yeah. it has to have certain proteins and enzymes in it mm. for cheese to like happen correctly. Right. So as long as it has that, then it can work. Yeah. If they're able to get those like proteins and enzymes from some other source. Yeah. Maybe and I could do something like, like I do think there are kind of like synthetic or like other derived ways of getting it. It's not like from an animal protein. So mm-hmm. that could be a whole thing if somebody wanted, you know, if they wanted to develop like a, something that can be made into cheese, but yeah, I think it's possible. And even if it isn't this, it seems like cheese would be a next an obvious next step. Oh, yeah, sure. Too. Yeah. Like some fake cheese. That actually tastes like real nice. I'll be the judge of that. Some nice, uh, I was about to say fatty cheese, but I don't know <laughs> if that's really a good descriptor. But I think you know what I mean. Hopefully you know what I mean. Like, uh-huh. like Yeah. Like an unhealthy cheese. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I want cheese that's going to taste delicious and be terrible for me. Me too. That's all I want. Okay, my next story is more science news. This is from BigThink.com, and the headline is, Humans are still evolving and maybe faster now than ever. Whoa. Ooh. So we might be evolving into crabs right now. (laughs) We might be evolving into crabs faster than we ever thought possible. (laughs) No, this is not about crabs. Faster than we ever dreamed. (laughs) Um, so, uh, okay, so the start of this article is evolutionary changes are still happening in both humans and animals. For example, there has been an increase in tuskless elephants in Africa. Hmm. They think as a response to poaching of ivory, which I did not know before I read this. Oh, that would make sense because it would be selected for because yeah. the ones who have tusks would be hunted. Right. Huh. Isn't that kind of like a crazy but cool thing? And also sad. And also sad. But like, how do elephants actually use their tusks, though? I don't know. Like, Maybe are they actually useful? Defense fighting, mm, probably. Like or, defense purposes? Yeah. Yeah, I actually don't even know. That's probably what it is. I'm but. sure that's, it's got to be something like that. Anyway, that's one example of evolution that like humans have observed. Also, apparently the skulls of certain foxes that live like in urban environments have changed. Like, and they think it's because they have needed to adapt to like, they're like scavenging like in cities and like human, oh, like rem- okay. like garbage, I guess, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know, but something about like their skulls are like evolving to be better at that. To be better to like live in an urban environment. Yeah. So I don't know all the details of that. That's just another example they get, which I thought was cool because I hadn't heard about that. Hmm. So anyway, a new study recently published finds evidence that not only are humans continuing to evolve, but we may be doing so at a faster rate than seen before. Um, the research cited several examples, but the primary focus of this p- 
paper was a sudden increase in the appearance of the median artery in the adult human forearm. So this study was authored by scientists from Flinders University and the University of Adelaide in South Australia, and it's published in the Journal of Anatomy. The median artery um, is an artery that supplies blood to a fetus's forearm in the womb, actually, but it typically atrophies and is replaced by the radial and ulna arteries before birth. So it's like something that's, you know, just in a fetus, but then it goes away. It's vestigial after a point or something, Mm -hmm. right? Is Is that that the term? Vestigial is like a thing that doesn't do anything. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it just like, yeah, it It, just atrophies away. Like it's not actually used for anything. Got it. Um, But apparently, like recently, they're seeing more and more people that are actually born with it still there. And like adults will like have it. Huh. So, yeah, it's interesting. So like this happening sometimes, it was actually noticed a long time ago, like in the 18th century. Um, And then a study was done about this artery's like prevalence in 1995. But this more recent one, like basically just extended that work and like did it again. And it found that the prevalence was like more now and it's like accelerating, like the prevalence of it just keeps rising basically. And they don't know why. It's rised, rose. Wow. It rose (laughs) faster (laughs) between like the 19, the 90s study and now than it did between like the 18th century and the 90s study. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's it's like a, we're all getting those arteries. So they're like, they actually have data points from different points in time of like how much it's increasing. Now, of course, you could say that maybe the data back then wasn't good or something like that. So there could be flaws. But assuming that it was fine, yeah, it's actually increasing. And the author said that if it, um, if that trend continues, a majority of people will have that extra artery by the year 2100. That it'll be like just hmm. common. Relatively speaking, that's not that far away. Yeah. Yeah, when, you, when you're thinking of like evolutionary like patterns and stuff, that's really not that's far really, away. Yeah, that's really fast in, <laughs> so, in science terms. <laughs> yeah, and it's just so weird because it's just something like, why? Like no one really know. They didn't know why. They don't have why an idea. It's, having, it's not like it increases blood flow no. to the heart, like the hands or something. I don't know. No, I think uh, I think I mentioned that they want to keep investigating like reasons why it might be happening, mm-hmm. but no, they don't have a definitive answer of why. Yeah. It's just something that they've observed that's um, interesting that it would that would be happening so fast that there wasn't some reason it was being selected for. Yeah, I mean there probably is that we just don't know what it is, like what that is. Yeah. But hmm. how would you it's just an extra artery. Like why you know, when we're talking about natural selection, like what disadvantage is not having the artery cause? I didn't I kind of right. didn't speak that very clearly. What disadvantage would be caused by not having the artery is what they would have to figure out. Right. Which is that would cause people to to die before childbearing age, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. That would, that's what would have to cause it, right? right. <laughs> or, or like somehow if you have that artery, you're like, you have more kids also for some reason. That could be the other way that huh, it could yeah. be more prevalent, right? Hmm. So it's like one of those two things. It's like why – that's just it's such a random thing. So I don't know. Evolution's interesting, but but yeah. Yeah. Or maybe mm, – mm. Maybe you need that extra artery for your crab claws. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes, because crab claws are really strong and they need extra blood. Yeah, they need extra blood for for all the gripping. That's probably what it is. We're all evolving into crabs. We're all evolving into crabs. My next story is also science news. 
This is from NBC. Scientists clock the fastest interval of time in zeptoseconds. I am dying to know what a zeptosecond I'm is. I'm going to tell you. Uh, so scientists have measured the shortest interval of time ever recorded, clocking how long it takes a particle of light to cross a single molecule of hydrogen. <laughs> oh. So, like, and it's not two, the... so two hydrogen atoms and how long it takes a particle of light to pass from one side of that molecule to the other side of that molecule. But it's not the speed of light because there's resistance? I think that's it. Because is the speed of light the speed of light in, like, a vacuum? I'm not actually sure. Now. I don't know either. <laughs> they didn't actually talk about that. Is the speed of light the speed of light in air or in a vacuum? I'll look that up later. Anyway. Or maybe it maybe it was the speed of light and they just wanted to be able – they still wanted to measure. Oh. They talk about how they measured it, too, okay. which I thought okay. was kind of interesting. Um, Anyway, the ultra-quick journey took 247 zeptoseconds, <laughs> according to a team of German researchers, which uh, a zeptosecond is a trillionth of a billionth of a second. Oh, my God. That is .000000000000000000000001 seconds. That's 20 zeros. Um, if you weren't counting, <laughs> it's a very small measurement. Uh, I, I now see there's clearly a need to call that its own unit sure. and not measure it in seconds because right, yeah, that would be a lot to say. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. the previously like smallest amount of time ever recorded was in femtoseconds, which is a billionth of a or a millionth of a billionth, I think. A millionth of a billionth? As opposed to a trillionth of a billionth, which is what this was. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, for the listeners, I just had a face of pure confusion yeah. on my face. I just wanted to make so, sure. I just want to make sure I think it makes okay. sense. No, it makes sense. It's just hard. It's just those numbers. They're, so, they're just so hard to fathom yeah, that it's just very like, hard to, but, what? <laughs> But when you think about it, like, the two smallest atoms, like, crossing across two of those, like, it would be, that makes sense yeah. that it would be very short. Yeah. Um, uh, the findings are the culmination of global efforts to measure shorter and shorter time spans in physics, and they offer scientists a way to precisely measure atomic changes through what's known as the photoelectric effect. Uh, the results were measured by scientists at Goethe University in Frankfurt, the Fritz Haber Institute of Max Planck Society in Berlin, and DESY, a particle accelerator in Hamburg. And they were published October 16th in the journal Science, appropriate enough. Nice. Um, the researchers fired X-rays from the Petra 3 accelerator at a molecule of hydrogen... Uh, which is made up of two protons and two electrons because two hydrogen atoms, one proton and one electron each. Uh, mm. The scientists said that they used a single particle of light or a photon to jostle the electrons free. They then used rapid bursts from a second near-infrared laser to detect the subsequent interactions. So basically they were measuring when the light hit, like disturbed one electron and then when it disturbed the other one, um, like on the other side of the molecule. Okay. And that's how they and they knew somehow the spatial orientation of this system. Okay. Um and that's and so that's how they were able to to do the measurement. 
Um, when, the oh. phot- when the photon hit the hydrogen molecule, it ejected one electron first and then the second quickly after. Apparently when it, the light hits it, it like ejects the electron or something. And that it, makes sense. Yeah. Um, the effect created waves in what's known as an interference pattern that allowed the scientists to accurately measure the electrons as they were escaping. Uh, Sven Grundman, a PhD student at Goethe University, said, Since we knew the spatial orientation of the hydrogen molecule, we used the interference of the two electron waves to precisely calculate when the photon reached the first and when it reached the second hydrogen atom. So, kind of like I yeah. said, like it hit one electron, hit the other, and they measured those disturbances and how far apart they were. Wow. And like I said, from start to finish, it took 247 zeptoseconds for the photon to cross the hydrogen molecule, though there is some variation depending on how far apart the atoms in the hydrogen molecule are when they're hit by the photon. So, you know, like atomic scale differences, I'm like, it's probably like 248 or 246 zeptoseconds, (laughs) depending on if like the atom is arranged slightly differently at that given moment of time. But yeah, I just... That's I, I find this kind of thing so cool <laughs> like, <laughs> that that we're even able to do it. I know, like I was thinking that too. Like how the the detection technology that is needed mm-hmm. to detect those electron activations at that quick of a speed it's is got to like, be so precise. Yeah, and the fact that they must have been able to reproduce it multiple times, like right. It's, it's incredible. It's really, yeah, that they were able to reproduce it multiple times and consistently enough to get a hard number. Like, that is, yeah. it's so cool. <laughs> also, zeptosecond is just the coolest word. It is I've, a pretty cool I word. I really like it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Uh, zeptosecond. My favorite sub-second measurement, <laughs> I think. Okay, my next story is food news. This is from Delish.com, and the headline is, Diet Coke is giving out a year's supply of the beverage as well as a mini fridge. Oh, man. You can win a year's supply of Diet Coke, and I'm so excited. What's the URL? I need to know right now. (laughs) Dietcoke.com. There's Uh a special part of their website. Uh, So. (laughs) Dietcoke.com. I'll send you the exact link, um, but you're going to find a a form on there. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what this is about, but. Okay. Basically, you can now nominate anyone to win a year supply of Diet Coke. You have to nominate someone or someone needs to nominate you. I don't see why not. You can nominate Mm. yourself. Um, This promotion is in celebration of National Bosses Day, apparently, which takes place every October 16th. But since this year has many people working from home and fulfilling different roles in their households, Diet Coke believes everyone is a boss this year, meaning everyone deserves to be nominated. So if there's someone special who comes to mind for you, you can head over to dietcoke.com to nominate them. Um, And nominations are being accepted through November 16th. And then they're going to announce the winners sometime in December. Um, and there will be three grand prize winners who will win a free supply of Diet Coke for an entire year in a mini fridge. Okay, but how much do they think is a supply for a year? <laughs> that wasn't specified. Because um, I don't know if it's an. I don't know if what they're thinking is enough. Okay, so how much Diet Coke do you drink? Well, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you had the year supply, if I supply, had a year supply, I would expect a certain amount. <laughs> and it would be a lot. I think I'm also that way. Um, 
I don't keep it in my house because it would be this amount. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is left at, up to a, it's a mystery. Okay. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd still like to be nominated for this. I'm just saying. All right. I like Diet Coke. I drink I mean, a lot. If you nominate me, I'll nominate you. Okay. I think we could do that. All right. We can come to an arrangement. Um, <laughs> so I, mean, I think that's the, the form. That's, wait, wait a minute. We already did. Okay. Did um, <laughs> the nomination form, all you have to do is you have to put the person's name, the nominee's name and email address, and you have to write a paragraph about, like, why you're nominating them for this. Like, why do they deserve to win this contest? Okay. That's all you have to do. So you are giving away somebody's email address, and Diet Coke probably will send you emails after mm. this, but... Mm. I don't know. You might win a lot of Diet Coke, and it might be worth it. So yeah, that, that's that's one I might be willing. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you feel that way because I also feel that way. So I was very excited <laughs> about this. <laughs> I'm about to go nominate everyone in my life who likes Diet Coke. So <laughs> if they don't like it, then they can just give it to you. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, wait, I should nominate people that don't like Diet Coke <laughs> so that I can just get it when they win. Oh That's no, genius. you want a you want a lifetime supply of Diet Coke? That's so unfortunate. What are you going to do with all and that? Then... <laughs> I, know, I know you don't like it. I know you don't like it. Also, I nominated you, so maybe you just give it to me. <laughs> My last story is entertainment news. <laughs> This is from BuzzFeed. Legally Blonde 3 now has a release date, giving us all something to look forward to. There's going to be a third one? There's going to be a third Legally Blonde. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I can get excited for this. Yeah, you should, because Legally Blonde is a great movie. Oh, uh, I love the first one. I had yeah. to remember for a second like if I liked the second one or not. I think the second one was good, but it wasn't as good as the it, first. But that would have been hard. I only saw it once, and from what I remember, it was like... Fine. Like, yeah. it was, like, solid. It was a solid sequel. Yeah. Usually the third one is the best. There's is no that ba- true? There's no basis for that. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought either, like, a series has just good sequels all the way through, or they get worse as they go on. I don't know. I'm thinking of, like, no? Iron Man, the second... Mm. Wait, no, the second one was really good, and the third one wasn't that good. Or was it... I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. I don't remember the difference between Iron Man 2 and 3, so... Yeah, that's probably... It's been too long. That's probably not a good sign for either of them. Anyway, (laughs) uh, the cast cast of Legally Blonde got together for a Zoom reunion on Tuesday night this week. Uh, Reese Witherspoon talked about things like the legacy of the character of Elle Woods and how the bend and snap scene was originally a full musical sequence that they (laughs) ended up cutting because it wouldn't have really fit in with the rest of the movie, but... um, I actually just watched the original the other night. Yeah. And it it holds up like really well. <laughs> it's still such yep. a good funny movie. It's great. Um, but yeah, after the cast's reunion, MGM Studios finally shared the Legally Blonde 3 release date, well, the month uh May 2022. <laughs> so, it's a little ways out. <sighs> but it's coming. And that's the okay. important part. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. literally the entire story. And I <laughs> mostly just wanted to talk about. Legally I'm excited Blonde. for it. Yeah. I love Legally Blonde, the first one. Love, it's, love, love, it's love so that movie. Good. Like just love watching it. it the other day, the thing that's so compelling about Elle is that she is just a genuinely nice person to everyone that she mm-hmm. like. Pretty much everyone that she interacts with, unless they're mean to her first. Yeah. Like pretty much because she's always ready with a with a comeback, but. And she's just really clever and just an un like I don't know. It was just 
it was a really cool character that I don't think yeah. there's really been an equivalent of since. I agree. I think her character is unique in in that it's like what you just said, basically. Like she's she's like the, she's a woman who is very feminine, but also right very driven and like when she wants something, she knows how to like get it through like hard work and like yeah all that and, and like she's she's the popular girl stereotype, but not. But not like the horrible part of that stereotype. Yeah, but she's still a nice person. She's still like a generally sweet and caring person. And it right. Just, and it, just makes her character so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that's not often portrayed, I think, in like film and TV. It's like someone being kind of like that stereotypical like sorority girl type person, but also like, nice. very, like a nice person <laughs> and like really smart too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Like that combo is not common. Yeah. And I, I love that movie. <laughs> I also just I can't love say um, nice things about it. Reese Witherspoon. Like, I don't know, maybe I've mentioned this before, but she she actually, like, seeks out, like, female-led, like, television and movie projects to... Big Little like, Lies. Like, Big Little Lies, exactly. Yeah. To um also an to excellent produce show. and support. Like, she actually seeks those out and tries to support those types of projects mm. um, specifically. Yeah. Just to kind of increase, like, the prevalence of that type of character. And I think, like... I don't know, her playing Elle Woods is just, like, a great thing. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, her character in Big Little Lies always just made me think of, like, Elle Woods as, like, a parent. Oh, really? I feel like it's a a similar character in a lot of ways. Um, But... I never thought that, but now that you say that, I can kind of... Like, I could kind of see that. It's like an Elle Woods with some some years at, like... (laughs) Some years under her belt. Like, a little wiser for the world, but... Mm -hmm. Anyway, I love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I need to watch totally the sequel watch again because I, I think I've only seen it once and I just yeah, don't, I think I just don't remember what happened. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Zeptosecond. Ready, set, Go! go! Okay, I found this on HuffPost.com. And the headline is, scientists think beetles' armor could provide clues to stronger buildings. Oh. So, apparently scientists are studying um, this certain type of beetle, which I'm now looking at, like, where does it even say what type of beetle this is? The the ironclad beetle. That's a great name. Yeah. Um so they have like have been doing some tests and they can the beetles like exoskeleton um can withstand compression of 39,000 times its own weight. What? Why? So it's like crazy crazy strong. Whoa. Yeah. Um and this said that that would be like a 200 pound man surviving a 7 point alien 7 point, <laughs> 7.8 million pound crush. Yes. And then he's laughing at me. <laughs> 7 point Seven, alien. Alien. It's an alien. Um, yes. 7.8 a man, million? Yeah, 7.8 million pounds of crushing weight and surviving that. Like a per- man surviving that. That's what this is like. Whoa. Like that's how much. That's it, a lot. Ins- yeah. So it's just like insanely strong. And um, so apparently researchers have used electron microscopes and CT scans to examine the beetle's exoskeleton like structure. And... Basically, they just described the structure as like a jigsaw-like binding of the material, I guess. But it's okay. I don't know how much you know about material science. Basically, the, the, it looks like it's 
the the components of the shell uh-huh. are layered together in such a way that it doesn't like shatter all at once. Like it doesn't break all at once. It like breaks in really gradual, small little ways, like gradually, and that's what allows it to withstand so much pressure. And it's able to like repair itself before that's a problem, or is it just eventually it would be crushed? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I don't know. Just curious. That sounds painful. <laughs> but I guess they probably don't feel that as pain. I don't know. Well, do they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because an exoskeleton, do they feel that? Probably not. Probably not. I don't imagine there'd be nerve endings in their, like, essentially their bones. Yeah, I don't think so. Because, yeah, it's a skeleton. I mean, it's like a bone. Right. So they probably wouldn't. I don't know. But at the very beginning, it was saying that this this type of beetle is known to, with like, it can withstand bird pecks, like birds like pecking their beak at it. Like, don't do anything. Like, just withstand that. Mm-hmm. And also, like, an- like large animals like stomping on the thing. It also it just is like, just fine. Whatever. Yeah. Just shrug it much. off. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so the whole point, like, they're just looking at the structure of the shell as if it were a material to look for inspiration to actually make like synthetic materials that are that strong. So. So pretty soon I'm going to be able to have a suit of armor that I can just be run over by a car and I'll be fine. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) That's what I have decided this means. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, but I I think they mentioned like vehicles being an application for this, like like the outside of a car. That makes more sense. Or like a plane or something that could Mm -hmm. get into some type of crash and not... That would just like hit, a, hit a mountain and just bounce right off. Yeah. <laughs> a plane just like, boing. <laughs> Could you imagine a plane just being like, like bouncing around like a full plane? <laughs> yes. And it's very funny to me. If everyone was in their seatbelt, maybe they'd all be fine. I don't know. It's a lot of jostling probably. <laughs> yeah. You'd have a headache after, but. Sure. <laughs> okay. This is very hypothetical. Anyway. Yeah, so they're just they're looking into it. Nothing, nothing, no, nothing no outcomes yet. out of it yet. Nothing but, yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I found this on UPI. Massachusetts man grows record-breaking four hundred and seventy point five pound gourd. We're talking Whoa. about large amounts of pounds. Zepta pound. Actually, no, that would be <laughs> the opposite direction, but it's... Anyway, a Massachusetts <laughs> man uh, said a prize item from his garden could be headed for the Guinness Book of World Records after he grew a 470.5-pound bushel gourd. I don't know why that number is hard for me to read. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, Steve Connolly, who has been growing giant pumpkins for around 30 years and started working on growing massive bushel gourds for about four now, hmm. um, said his giant gourd is being submitted to Guinness as a new world record. The current, the current record holder is a 384-pound, 8-ounce gourd grown in Tennessee in 2018. So almost 100 pounds later. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, a quote from him. Well, for me, it's always a goal to grow the biggest and the best in all the land. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> that's for a lot to go. Uh, he also says, I take 600 square feet of land and I let just one gourd grow. <laughs> so he's just letting a single gourd grow in 600 square feet, which is... That seems is, maybe like overkill, but like, hey, yeah, this guy's right. been doing hey, it for like 20 years or something. And clearly it's producing results. Yeah. So... Uh, 
but hmm. yeah. It's I wonder a big what all uh, goes into like strategically growing a large gourd. Like, okay, so you have to you give it all this land. You just plant one, mm-hmm. sure and then you fertilize you... it a lot. Maybe maybe you grow like multiple generations, and like you pick the biggest oh, ones, and you're just like these seeds and these seeds, and I don't know. Yeah, that could be how part of it. Works, but well, I also know that there's some science with like um trimming leaves of plants so that the fruits grow bigger or like Ooh, trimming certain yeah. parts of it so that certain other parts of the plant get bigger or get more nutrients so it's so not yeah, like pulled so away from the stuff nutrients yeah. stuff go to the, just the fruit so yeah. i wonder if there's like something like that i don't know that's yeah. interesting he probably knows yeah he probably does <laughs> <laughs> all right that's our show thanks for listening everybody we post episodes every friday and as always the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, on Twitter at, at News, and on Instagram at News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.